This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be a genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And if you want to help support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, or you can simply leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton. And also check us out on uh, Google Play Music, which just went live for podcasts. Uh, We're on there, so... Yeah, how's it going, Tiny? F it, let's do it live. Let's do it. <laughs> Google live. Google. Music. Uh-huh. God, anyways. It's Google Play. Google but... Play music. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm keeping I'm, all of that in I there. Am, I am. I am. I am. Nice. Yeah. Good words. <laughs> How are you, Maddie? I'm good. I'm doing. I'm doing quite well. Quite well. Uh, I never ask you that. That's kind of messed I, up. You know, I kind of. I. It's not that I've noticed it or anything, yeah. but I have a. You know, have you seen the the dry erase board in my room? It's just marks of the times you don't ask. Oh my episode. god. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's only been three years. No, I mean. yeah, you know, it's 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 fine. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we have a lot to talk about today. We, we're doing a Netflix picks episode where last week in OV163, um, we basically picked random numbers for each other and then we assigned ourselves the Netflix title or the title on our Netflix queue in that corresponding number. Um, so we're going to be reviewing those in a bit. Um, but then we have some news to go over and then, uh, after that, we're going to do a potpourri section, um, and we're also going to have another call-in segment from Mike. Our co-host is on sabbatical, so we got a full show for you guys. So we should just dive right in. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, so for news, I've got like a few. I've got like three things for us to talk about. Um, first and foremost, I want to bring up uh, Surefire uh, from uh, Michael Goldberg and Dave Chan, who they were on the podcast in OV one fifty seven. They. Are, they were crowdfunding their first feature-length film called Surefire, and we talked to them about that and their campaign and everything. Just wanted to give you guys an update that um, Surefire was the first project on the website Seed and Spark to ever make over 200% of their original goal. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they ended up making, uh, I don't have the actual figure, but they made 220% of what they like. Of what of their goal? Dang. Yeah, and uh, and you can still help out. Go to seedandspark.com. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. And if they get 500 followers on it, uh, Surefire might qualify for distribution on their uh, on on their platform after it's made. And obviously, for any filmmaker, distribution is freaking very important. Oh yeah, very big. So man, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm super super proud of them. And I mean, they're such cool down to earth guys. And it's so great to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those guys get rewarded for for being so genuine and hardworking and talented. Absolutely. Yeah. And then also, uh, as of right now, we're recording this on the twenty sixth, um, and it's going to be released in a couple of days. So if it's before Saturday, April thirtieth, uh, you can see uh, Michael and Dave's uh, latest short film, Rye Manhattan, in New York City again as part of the New York Short Film Fest at Freddy's in Brooklyn. It screens Saturday, April thirtieth at four thirty p.m. Uh, and you can again you can hear them talk about that short on OV one fifty seven. 
And finally, uh, What's Eating Dad, their short film that was their comedy horror short film that we screened at Sharktober in Irvington last year. Um, it won a jury, com- uh, a jury commendation for live action short comedy at the 2016 uh, Durango Independent Film Festival, which is freaking awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, especially after... After it's been through, it's been through the film festival circuit and everything. It's cool that it's still got legs now. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, you can hear more about that short film uh, on OV one thirty one. So congratulations to those guys, and we're gonna have them back on eventually. And um, I'm really excited to talk to them and and for the for the future for them. Yeah, they just yeah. keep on trucking, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're unstoppable. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Yep. So next up, uh, I want to talk briefly about the latest trailer or the first trailer for Cell uh, that came out today. It uh, stars Samuel L. Jackson and uh, John. Uh, oh, my God. I can't remember his name. John, John Cusack. Cusack. Wow. Yeah. John Cusack. Some people are calling it 1408 Part 2. I see. Yeah. yeah that's funny. Yeah. Uh, our friends, our friend uh, Brandon from Billy and Brandon, he posted that. Did he? Okay, yeah. Good. He posted that on my on my timeline at least or he tagged me on it that's funny um yeah it was pretty funny <laughs> but of course cell is based on the uh stephen king novel of the same name it's 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 a zombie ish story um about technology and cell phones that transform people into mindless zombies basically mm-hmm. um and i i remember so it's a true story right well yeah <laughs> <laughs> seriously because <laughs> yeah right um, no, but I remember reading this, reading the book a few, several years ago, actually. Um, and I mean, I have, I have a list of Stephen King books that I've read, um, because I'm crazy. And, um, I, sell I think is like right at the bottom of it. Um, I wasn't too crazy about it. Tiny, you've read it too, right? I have read it too. And it's, I, I agree. It's, it's towards the bottom, if mm-hmm. not at the bottom of my Stephen King novels. It's, it's, it, if, if anyone else besides Stephen King had wrote it, it would have been very forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he's good. So he made it, he made it readable, <laughs> very readable and, and, uh, accessible, but it's, it's just wasn't that great. Yeah. I think the, the problem with me is that it's, it's strange because I'm a huge zombie fan, and so reading a book about zombies from Stephen King, who I'm a who I'm a huge fan of, um, I I kind of expected it to be, maybe I had too high expectations for it, um, but I think that part of it was that he made he made the creatures he made the monsters of the book uh, a little too complicated and complex, and I was kind of hoping for a more Romero esque zombie story, mm-hmm. um, which he actually dedicated the book to uh, Richard Matheson and uh, George Romero. Um, who at least George Romero, I think he goes way back with. So, oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so the trailer. What did What did you think of it? Because yeah, well, go ahead and tell me what you thought of it. You know, I I was just really unimpressed with it. I really. I I mean, I think it's probably just uh, you know, crossover from my opinion of the book and how I'm just not really excited for it. Mm-hmm. For that respect, I think I think it's going to be difficult to transfer some of the ideas to the screen uh which is the case with any stephen king story really right um but it's just i i just don't i don't see it being very good um i i have said many times on this podcast how i'm not a big fan of john cusack right um so that that rubs me the wrong way um but you know uh we'll see i it's it, it just seems very uh very uh vanilla to me i can i can see that yeah. and i <laughs> I'm I'm going to eventually reread Cell because I'm I'm trying to uh, you know 
go through go through all of uh, Stephen King's work for Obsessive Book Nerd. Um, and it, I don't know something about the trailer. Kind of, I, I went into the trailer knowing that okay, this is probably my least favorite Stephen King novel, so I'm not going to be too too excited about it or anything. And um, the trailer looked decent to me, um, but its its biggest achievement for me was that it made me kind of not anxious or excited, but it made me kind of interested in eventually getting back to sell to reread it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie, I don't, I don't know. It looks like it could be okay. I like the fact that um, Stephen King apparently co-wrote the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that because I'm coming off of uh, having just watched Pet Cemetery a few months ago. And uh, I believe he wrote the script for that entirely, um, or he might've co-wrote it as well. And I thought that it was a really good, uh, adaptation of his book so okay so yeah i don't know when the release date for cell is i think it's sometime this fall but uh, okay. i don't know um yeah i remember the book had it had good characters you know but king's books always have good characters that's his specialty they do yeah uh, so that, that's the one thing i remember one of the few things i remember from it so mm-hmm. uh, who, who knows if that'll if that'll uh transfer to the to the movie but right i'm doubtful yeah, I yeah I'm I'm hesitant, but after uh, uh, eleven twenty two sixty three, which I really enjoyed. Which by the way, you can check out uh, our bonus episode of that, which went up uh, this week over at obsessiveviewer.com. dot com. It's ov one sixty four with Brian Davids from Film Schlips podcast. Uh, he joined me to talk about it. Um, cool. But after that, I'm I've been kind of itching for more like good Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. So hopefully. I'm hoping that 112263 is the start of it. And by the way, uh, there it has been a release date announced for the It remake. Um, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he posted. I think Stephen King posted that to his Facebook page. I or think something so. Like that. Yeah. yeah, but it's like September September 2017. Um, okay. Okay. It's a specific date in September, but I I don't remember. I don't have it offhand. But um, so yeah, hopefully that's good. But yeah, but yeah. So, um, Cell looks like it could be. I don't know. To me, it looks like it could be okay. But we'll reserve judgment until we know more. Yep. Yep. So finally, uh, for the last piece of news, this one is actually, I don't know, it feels like it's kind of big. Um, today, uh, Turner Classic Movies and Criterion announced that they're teaming up for a new streaming service called Filmstruck. Um, it's going to be basically catering to, uh, to cinephiles and, and it's going to have a very, uh, nicely curated classic film collection basically nice um okay so i have uh the slash film um article up and i'm just going to read from it in a a few points um there's prices have not been announced and if there is a launch date it's being kept under wraps however they do report that it will be subscription-based free of advertising and will according to to the new york times uh quote feature hundreds of films from independent and major Hollywood studios. As examples of what will be offered, they mention Akira Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurai, Joel and Ethan Cohen's Blood Simple, and George Miller's Mad Max. So it's it's going to be interesting, and they apparently Criterion, this is the underlying thing that I'm, this is my main takeaway from it, is that Criterion will have its own channel on Filmstruck, uh, which it will, quote, spotlight more than 1,000 films and other content such as commentary on films and filmmakers, um, which, you know, you can just, it'll, the website for it uh, boasts that it's the exclusive streaming home of the Criterion Collection. Oh, wow. Yeah, which that, that uh, surprised me because every time, um, every time 
someone online talks about how Hulu is awful um, <laughs> and that they don't want to pay for ads for stuff. I'm like, well, you know, they have a lot of other stuff. They have uh, a bunch of movies that are ad free and then they also have the entire Criterion collection. Um, so seeing that this morning, I was like, well, I wonder what that means for, for Hulu. So I tweeted at them and I asked if, uh, did, what does that mean? Does that mean that Hulu is losing the Criterion collection? And it's funny because Hulu tweeted at, I think, Drew, uh, Drew McWeeny at HitFix and said that some, something to the effect of, uh, there are no plans right now to, uh, to, uh, to remove the Criterion Collection from Hulu. So like kind of a PR thing, which, uh, okay, my tweet was, so is Hulu losing the Criterion Collection? And their reply was, hi, Matt, correct. Come this fall, Criterion will make its home exclusively on Filmstruck and Criterion Channel, which Criterion Channel will be a separate tier of Filmstruck. Like, I believe it'll... Gotcha. Yeah, I think that the principle behind that is that it's going to be like another probably another pay level. This is all conjecture on my part, but it'll probably be another pay level like the um, Amazon add-on subscriptions that we talked about a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so, and that's kind of huge to me because um, that's one of the big selling points for Hulu for me and for for me to sell people on Hulu is that it's ad-free Criterion Collection. Uh, So Tiny, what do you make of all this news? I mean, I'm always excited when when companies go this direction because I think you know, we, we've talked about before about how much we hope that content is moving in this direction, this whole streaming mm-hmm. a la carte direction. It's, I mean, it's so much better for everyone. It's a win-win for the company and it's a win for the consumer because you, mm-hmm. it's, it's a la carte. You can decide whether you have it or not and you can watch however much you want and everybody comes out ahead. It's just, it just makes so much sense. Um, and I'm glad to see that not only is it, just criterion but it's tcm right you know they're they're coming together to do this it's really it's it's uh heartwarming <laughs> to see <laughs> to see that kind of collaboration right i guess it's it's inspiring because yeah. you know there's so much competition involved and everyone's you know it's 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 nice to see two business artistic entities working together instead of trying to compete with one another absolutely and it's it's interesting because uh by the way it's it's expected to launch in the fall um and that and filmstruck will offer free a free trial so that you can test it out um before you know making the plunge Mm -hmm. but my whole thing is like my my kind of one of my reactions to it was that um i'm very intrigued by it because i like i have i have netflix i have hulu i have amazon prime i have hbo I have all these services and it's a little overwhelming at times, but like all the time I, with Hulu, I'm like, okay, well they have the entire Criterion collection. That's a huge selling point for me because I, I, you know, I love that kind of stuff. I would love to, you know, sit down and watch more of it. But anytime I load Hulu, it's like I'm overwhelmed by choices. There's tons of movies uh, or tons of, tons of newer release movies and an obscene amount of television to consume on there. So anytime I load Hulu kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, well I need to, I need to continue season two of Battlestar Galactica. I'm three episodes behind on, uh, agents of shield. So I never get down to the movie section of Hulu. And if I have this streaming service, assuming that the user interface and the experience and, uh, the streaming quality is up to par and everything. If I have that, I, that's a niche that I will be able to fulfill more uh, frequently by just going to that and browsing their selection without getting so distracted and everything. Right. Basically I have a really short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, so yeah, so I'm really, I'm really excited. And it does bring up an interesting uh, point that, that you made, Tiny, is that um, we're kind of in an age of streaming services and streaming things. Like, I, I debated really hard about whether or not I should buy The Force Awakens on Blu-ray or buy it digitally and then eventually buy the big box set that they're going to have when all the movies are released or all of this trilogy of movies are released uh, in this trilogy of the saga. Um, I really debated with that and um, I ended up getting it on Blu-ray and everything, but I'm just, I'm really curious how people feel about the physical collection versus streaming. Cause if Criterion is going to have things like commentaries and special features on the streaming service on Filmstruck, I mean, that's theoretically, that's bet- probably between eight and $20 a month for everything mm-hmm. versus you know, 30 bucks for one release. Yeah. 25 bucks. So, well, and just technologically speaking, I think we're going to, I think we're in, you know, 10 years, maybe even five years or who knows how long I I feel like we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to have a, a central entertainment box in every home. And it's, it's going to be like, you have your own, it's going to be able to stream everything and you're going to have your own, uh, your, it's going to be like your own server basically. Yeah. And you can store all of your digital media on there and just, yeah, oh, that'd be awesome. And you have all your a la carte streaming services, and you can play games on it. And I don't know. I just I feel like it's I feel like that's where we're headed. And right. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Right. I uh, <laughs> I had the thought. Um, this was this was probably a few months ago. I, I never. I, I just it it made me laugh because I was just driving. And I was like, man. So okay, this week I have Hulu's uh, payment coming out. And I have Netflix next week is coming out and all that. And I was just thinking like, man, so I have all of these other, I have all of these options and all of these streaming options. I don't, I'm basically a cord cutter. I don't have like a, 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 a robust cable subscription or anything. I live and breathe by the streaming services I have. And then all I thought was like, oh, I'd be so cool if someone made like an app or something where, um, where I could, <laughs> where I could just pay for all of it at once in a monthly thing. And I'm like, that's kind of cable, essentially. Yeah. So I don't right. know. It made me laugh, but um, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. I'm very intrigued. I mean, for all I know, it could completely crash and and be a terrible user experience. But yeah, it seems like they are. It seems like something that's been in the works for a while, and they are. I I'm liking the social media aspect of it because they're responding to tweets. They're being very um, excited about it, and I'm I'm really interested to see what what comes of it. Me too, and you know I. I'm not really worried because both Turner Classic Movies and Criterion are 100% dedicated to quality. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they always oh, put yeah. out fantastic products, mm-hmm. and I, I don't see them screwing this up, yeah. basically. I really want to, side note, I really want to go to one of those uh, Turner Classic Movies uh, theater events that they have. Um, oh, um, yeah. I think they just recently did um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I think you're actually. right, yeah. Yeah, which, man, that would be so cool. But I haven't gone to anything like that. Um, mm-hmm for that so anyway so tell us what you think about this news and everything um yeah on 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 the normal places you know twitter all that stuff totes email all that so will you, will you subscribe to filmstruck and will or will you test it out or does it not interest you that's what we want to know everyone listening needs to comment on it or we don't release an episode next week um i'm <laughs> just kidding i'm totally joking guys we will always held, held the podcast hostage i did <laughs> i promise we will have an episode next week it's actually gonna be a really good one so um so you'll have to get through this one to get to it <laughs> it's 
ridiculous. Oh my god. Okay, so anyway, so that's the news for this episode. Um you can find links to all this stuff in the show notes or actually um and this is also another good way to contact us and everything with feedback on this episode is go to um obsessiveviewer.com slash ov165 that's kind of the homepage for this episode um and you'll find links you'll find basically the entire show notes for the episode there too um because every episode we have a blog post that goes live on the on on uh, the website so anyway uh tiny Sir, let's do some Netflix picks reviews. Let's pick some Netflix. Yes, which rhymes with wet chicks. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> I can't believe you just. <laughs> For those unfamiliar, he's quoting Adam Sandler. Yes, he's I not am. that tiny's not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might be though. <laughs> anyway. anyway. Um, <laughs> No, so last week on the podcast, um, we picked numbers and then we basically assigned each other um, Netflix picks that corresponded with those numbers in our queue. Um, and I I had Wayne's World. Uh, Tiny, you had a 30 for 30 documentary. Yes, I did. And then I had kind of a wild card, like randomized picked uh, documentary that I, that I picked for my queue. So... Um, Basically, I was thinking that we would just sandwich yours in between those two for me. Can do so. Well. Awesome. So, Wayne's World. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, I have an interesting recent history with uh, um, SNL spinoff movies based on SNL skits, uh, skits and everything. Um, I'm talking about last year when we did Mike's farewell episode in which he counted down his top 10. Um, I made it a point to watch as many of the top 10 movies on his list that I hadn't seen yet. And one fairly high up was the blues brothers. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and listen to the episode, I think it's OV one Oh seven. Um, I, I just, I just couldn't connect to the blues brothers. I just didn't get it. And, um, one of the main problems with that was that I went into it without having the context of the skit from SNL in my brain. Um, and I think that that might have, uh, derailed it a little bit, but I think for the most part, I just, it just wasn't a movie for me. And so I went into Wayne's World conscious of that reaction and worried about that reaction for Wayne's World. So I went on YouTube and I, I tried to look up some skit, uh, some sketches from SNL from Wayne's World. Can't really find much of anything on there. Hmm. Um, there's like the 40th anniversary SNL special, uh, sketch, uh, sketch that they did. And then, uh, there's a few like here and there, but I couldn't find like a channel that had like all of them or anything. I, I think. Now that I think about it, I think SNL might have like an app or something like that. But anyway, mm -hmm. that's neither here nor there. So I dove into Wayne's World and I, <laughs> it reached a point where I just started, just started in my notes, just started, uh, typing out lines. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. my God, this movie, I, I loved it, first of all. Um, it's, it's so much fun. Uh, it, it's, it's so wacky and, and zany, but it has like a clear through line. Um, whereas like, like the Bruce Brother, Blues Brothers for me, I felt like it was kind of a little disconnected. Um, for me, at least between like the musical numbers and, and the, the storyline. I thought that was just a little bit flat for me. But Wayne's World was not like that at all. It was, it was, it stayed true to kind of the spirit that I remember of Wayne's World. And I remember, I remember seeing, I remember like as a kid seeing a lot of the sketches and, um, 
stuff like that, but I I don't remember any of them. I remember like maybe on like the Mike Myers and Dana Carvey best of SNL DVDs that they had out. Um, but I didn't remember much of them, but as the, as the kind of classic, um, the classic lines like, like swing and, um, you know, Wayne's world party time, excellent, all that stuff. <laughs> like the, the vernacular of that, um, of that, of that world as that kind of came through, I, it just made me feel like a little bit nostalgia and it just, it just remember, reminded me how much I enjoyed it as a kid. And man, I, I like seriously, like all of my, all my notes are just lines. Um, pardon me. Do you have any great pepon? Um, <laughs> she makes me feel funny. Like when we climb the rope in gym class, I just, <laughs> God, so funny. Yeah. But, um, I, I really, really appreciated and just loved the way that they broke the fourth wall. Um, like there are scenes where Garth is just like kind of nodding and the camera follows him down and he talks to the camera about his concerns. <laughs> it's like, like ordinarily, like, you know, breaking the fourth wall, it's like, it's a gamble. And in this context, it works because it's so, it's, <laughs> it could have been like a shortcut to the, um, inner struggle or the doubts or whatever that a character is having, but it's so goofy and everything that it, it plays really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sphincter says what? <laughs> <laughs> when they're ordering Chinese food, I'll have the cream of some young guy. Um, <laughs> just God, I just, I loved it. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing accolades at this, but, um, uh, 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 one scene that I want to point out in particular is, uh, the product placement gag, yeah. just a classic, just absolutely classic. And it's so clever. Oh, incredibly clever. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I don't know. It's hilarious. I'm, I'm someone who gets really touchy about product placement in movies. And I love that they just not only just own it, but they, they just poke fun at it. And it's a satire of that entire thing. I, I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going through my notes. I was surprised to see the uh, T2 reference with uh, Robert Patrick, that cameo. Yeah. Um, that was just, that was a surprise. I, I like, I had to rewind it because I didn't know. Like, I was just like, did that really just happen? That's so bizarre. <laughs> um, and so I had a couple questions on here. Like, I, my whole thing was, why did this succeed where other SNL movies failed? And is it due to the concept or the execution or is it just, throw throw enough at the wall and this one stuck or or anything like that do you have any thoughts on that tiny i think it's kind of a combination of all of that really mm-hmm. you know there's there have been other snl movies that have worked very few most of them more of them fail than than not um, right so i don't know i think it is just kind of a, a combination of those the, they just picked this one i think mm-hmm. and it just it just happened to work i don't know nice yeah did you how did you feel about wayne's world um, I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, it's it's just been forever since I've watched it. But yeah, I mean, even as a kid, it it, it stuck out to me pretty well. Um, yeah. The I think one of my favorite scenes is the the product placement. Yeah. Stuff. It's just oh, so yeah. funny the way he turns the Pepsi can and takes a drink <laughs> so from it. It's so funny. Um, and is this? Gosh, I hope I'm not. Have you seen the second one? I I have. It's been a long time ago. Okay. But, I can't yeah. remember if it's in the first or the second one where he he um. He's trying to break up the wedding, like in uh, um, the Graduate. The Graduate. I think that's the second one. Is it the second one? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, the, well there's the part where they <laughs> he stops to ask for directions. I want to say, and it's like a mechanic <laughs> at a at a at a, like an auto 
Okay. Whatever. I think I remember that. I think that is the second and, one. Yeah, and he breaks the fourth wall, and he's like, really? Is this the best actor we could get for this? And they bring in <laughs> Charlton Heston, and he does it. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the second okay, one. Okay, yeah. That, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's so that, funny. That was going to be my next question, is if you've seen Wayne's World 2, and if you recommend me checking it out. Cause, oh, you know, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not on Netflix, unfortunately. But uh, another thing I want to say about Wayne's World is that um, between the two actors, between Dana Carvey and Mike Myers... Um, I, I I mean, if I were to choose which one I liked more in 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 the movie, I would definitely go with Dana Carvey. I think he had mm-hmm. a lot. There was a there was a he has he had a little bit more room to to kind of really explore that character, and it was a little bit there was a little bit more nuance to it, and it was I don't know I I just I I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, not to say anything about Mike Myers because he was he was fantastic. So, um, man, this movie was so fun. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see it again. Nice. I, uh, I need to see it again. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. Sphincter says what? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so yeah, that's my glowing review of Wayne's World, which is on Netflix and was number, what, 24 on my queue? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, but not anymore because I watched it. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Also, uh, Chris Farley was in it, mm-hmm. um, which made me miss him uh, more. So, yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. So Tiny, um, after me talking so much about the laugh riot of Wayne's World, uh, <laughs> what did you review? <laughs> uh, I reviewed Shocker, a documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, one of those uh, ESPN 30 for 30s, right. um, which I have not seen any of. I was going to ask you, or I was going to set you up for that. Um, <laughs> uh, but I do have a question. What, what 30 for 30, what exactly is that? I don't know. Really? I don't know why they call it that. I was wondering that because I don't think they're 30 minutes. No. And I don't know why 30 is... I'm not sure. I really don't know why. Uh, maybe it's 30 years of ESPN. Oh, maybe. And so they made 30 documentaries. Hang on. 30 for 30 is the umbrella title for a series of documentary films airing on ESPN. It's sister networks and online highlighting important people and events in sports history. Okay, gotcha. Well, this one was about 50 minutes, maybe. I think it was like an hour okay. at most. Um, uh, it was The Prince of Pennsylvania is okay. what it's called. Um, and it's about the the story of uh, the Schultz brothers. They were uh, literally Olympic gold medalists in the 1980s uh, in the sport of wrestling. Um, they are the only, it's, I think still to this day, the only brothers who have ever won gold medals in the same games. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's, that's a very cool thing. Um, but of course, this was in the 80s. Uh, and even though the Schultz brothers were really famous and uh, just basically as successful as you can get as an athlete, right. um, they, they were kind of like broke. I mean... They, you know, they don't, there's really not a lot of money in being an Olympic athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, don't if, I know it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> Sorry, me, go me, ahead. Me too. Um, so they, you know, basically, there's, uh, there was this man named John DuPont who is the heir to the DuPont Corporation, uh, which is one of those giant, giant companies that does so many different things. You don't really know what they do. I was going to ask. Like, they can't define themselves. Really? <laughs> They're kind of like a, like a, huh. Like a research and development kind of company. They came up with, like, they invented Teflon. Okay. And a bunch of other, like, chemical products and stuff huh. like that. The only the only connection I have, or the only knowledge I have of DuPont is that they sponsored Jeff Gordon's NASCAR. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, and I'm not even a racing fan. Yeah. But, um, from so, Speedway, but... 
Right. That's what a lot of people know DuPont from is right. Gordon's car. Um, I thought but, it was a carpet business or something. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I don't know. They, I don't know. They, they've done so many different things, but, uh, mostly like home goods, houseware kind of stuff, I guess. Okay. Um, but it's a very old company that goes back over a hundred years and it's, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation. Wow. So the DuPont family is very, rich and wealthy wealthy right. is a better word and and they're kind of one of those old families that's those old east coast families that are very you know they have ties to like all the way back the hundreds of years and stuff like that sure um one of those very proud almost, almost like royalty kind of families okay like the kennedys or whatever right um and so john dupont is the the heir to all that and they have this compound basically in pennsylvania and um he is a huge fan of wrestling, I guess. <laughs> and so he just decides, he's like, I think, I think we should pay our Olympic athletes. I think we should pay these professional athletes, okay. um, so that they can train and become the best in the world and they don't have to worry about other things. Um, cause at the time, you know, this is the eighties, the Soviet Union was, you know, they're all about that kind of stuff. And like right. the Soviet Union paid their wrestlers and they were huge celebrities and a big deal in oh. Russia. And he wanted, Basically, John DuPont wanted to do that for the United States. Okay, and you're not going to spoil the story, are you? I'm not going to spoil the story. Okay. Um, but basically, um, he starts his own wrestling club uh, <laughs> called Foxcatcher, um, and it's at his family's compound in Pennsylvania. Uh, they have a they have a basically a working farm uh, oh. where they have tons of land and buildings and everything. And he just chooses to start this wrestling club, and the Schultz brothers come and train there and okay. uh, and kind of work there basically and live there um and it ends up it ends up turning out that he's basically mentally unstable uh okay. john dupont and it just it just throws him into turmoil with the schultz brothers and everyone who lives there um he's he's one of those people who had a ton of pressure on him from the day he was born mm-hmm. to the day he died to be you know perfect and right and you know, represent the family name well and all that stuff. And that just has a negative effect sometimes. Right. Um, and he's one of those people. Um, but the, the story is just really incredible. It's, it's, it's really sad, but it's inspirational at the same time. Um, that it was a Hollywood movie, which I I talked about on the podcast. Uh, right. That was, yeah, that was Uh, episode one twenty four. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the movie was nominated for a couple Oscars, deservedly so. I love the movie, mm-hmm. um, but one of the one of the differences in between this documentary and the movie is that uh, the documentary kind of focuses on not, ne- not necessarily focuses on, but it um, it really informs you better of the mental health aspect of it. Okay. Because um, in the in the movie, John Dupont just seems like a creepy, weird dude, right? Um, who's obviously a little crazy but i you know in the documentary they show how he's he's like diagnosably he has like diagnosable uh, psychological issues okay and i mean the guy the guy was sick the guy oh. was literally sick you know and he he did some terrible things but you know he he wasn't uh he he wasn't an evil person mm-hmm. i don't think and even even some of these wrestlers who became friends with him and and were exposed to all the terrible things that he did as a result of his mental illness. You know, they, they, they said in this documentary how they wanted to help him because, you know, despite the fact that he was paying them, he was their friend, you know, Mm -hmm. they still cared about him and, and he was a sick person. It's not like, you know, they, they don't, they don't, 
they don't like absolutely despise him for what he what he did um even though it was a really awful thing you know they they're very empathetic about the situation and okay. I, I really appreciated that aspect of the story cuz that wasn't really that didn't really make it into the movie <laughs> right um and i can understand why they chose to take that route it's a little more um in the movie for you know for fictional spectacle i can understand doing that cuz it's it sets up a more adversarial situation um sure and i can understand why they did that um i i i don't mind the liberties they took with the the uh movie um cuz i think i think it made sense from a, a fiction standpoint um but the documentary was very well done um i was i was surprised how much the how much mark schultz was willing to come and talk to him and he laid out everything that happened and it's a very painful thing for him but he he showed up and he did it and i really appreciated his uh his uh perspective on everything um and they you know i it makes me want to check out the other espn 30 for 30s because really? i mean it's this is a legit documentary like they didn't nice. they didn't cut any corners it didn't have it didn't it didn't feel like it had commercial breaks in it mm-hmm. you know i mean it felt like a very fluid documentary nice um i i was really pleased they talked to they talked to everyone involved and I mean, I I was I was happy with what they did. Nice. Um, Maybe we can do an episode about thirty for thirties. Oh, to- totally. Nice. I would nice. I'd be down for a a segment or something. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's very good, and like I said, it's it's short, but it fe- it feels feature length. Awesome. Um, I think it's it's definitely under an hour, mm-hmm. um, but it like I said, if it's it's a feature length documentary, and uh, man, they did a good job. Awesome. That's that's great to hear. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've been very curious about Thirty for Thirties, or at least that one, especially the the fantastic Fantastic Lies one that I mentioned last time mm-hmm. uh, that Pat brought up in the Daredevil episode that we did. I want to uh, say there's quite a few on on Netflix. I don't yeah, know there's how a many. ton. I don't know if there's all of them on there. I don't know about that. But I don't know if it's all of them, but yeah, there's a lot of them on there. Oh yeah, check them out. Nice. So we'll have Tiny report back on his 30 for 30 binge. I think they have one for... Tonight. Sorry about that. No, that's not so. um, I think they have one about the um, the 1918 White Sox. Oh, really? The 18 or 19? Uh, 20, 25? I think it was 1919? 31, was <laughs> um, I think it was 19, 1919. 19 or maybe 1918. Yeah. yeah the, Black um, so- the Black Sox scandal? The White Sox. No, no, no. Isn't that... Oh, is it called the Black Sox? I don't it, even know. I think it is. Not a baseball guy. I'm basing this totally off of Boardwalk Empire, guys. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, but I, I think they have one about that. Nice. So. I think they also have one about OJ. Um, yeah. I think it's called OJ Made in America. Nice. Um, yeah. So cool. I, they definitely have some cool topics. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to check those out. Cool. Yeah. So um, to round out the main topic for the episode, which, by the way, I mentioned, I think I mentioned in our last episode that um, in honor of Tiny getting Prince of Pennsylvania for his pick, I was going to watch it and I was going to watch Foxcatcher finally. Um, fortunately, I couldn't get a chance. I didn't get a chance to do that because by the time I sat down to watch Foxcatcher, um, basically the underlying thing of this is I'm cheap. Check out um, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. <laughs> but um, uh, my uh, stars trial on Amazon Prime expired and that's basically the only way I can stream Foxcatcher. Um, I, I, it's not available to rent on Google Play or any other platform. Um, it's only available to buy and I didn't want to spend $10 on it. Right. Um, 
as opposed to the three dollars I would have spent re- renting it. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I'm cheap. But anyway, <laughs> um, so so I didn't get a chance to do that as as planned. But I did watch the um random pick that I randomly assigned to myself. Um, Autism in Love. It's a documentary. Um, it was at, it was actually at Harland Film Festival, which, uh, we covered in episodes 136 and 137 of the podcast. Unfortunately, that's one of the movies that I'd missed. Um, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat that if I had seen it in the theater there, I mean, I would have been just crying my eyes out. It's, I mean, it's so the the main point of the documentary is that it follows um a group it fo- it follows uh a group of subjects like there's four different subjects there's Lenny he's a single guy who's about i think he's in like his early early twenties maybe closer to mid twenties um and there's a couple uh Dave and Lindsay who've been together for i think like eight years and then there's an older guy Stephen who it's kind of shown that his um that that he's a little dependent on his on his uh parents um mm-hmm. and everything. So and it's about their it's about each subject's kind of experience um looking for looking for a relationship or looking for um love and and some finding it, some not and and how they deal with certain things. And I I appreciated this documentary on, on many levels and one was that it just didn't it wasn't like it gave us a ton of facts just up front or anything. It didn't say like one of one of X number of people are born with with uh born on on the autism spectrum or it didn't have this big medical thing about um autism spectrum disorder or anything like that. It just basically the the documentary opens with um a definition of autism, like a like a dictionary definition of autism, and then a dictionary definition of love, and then the title card and then it goes into its subjects. And I thought that was a really great way to to dive into it because this is the it centers on the subjects of the of the documentary and it's presents them in such a way that it's it's a very candid look at them and they're they're extraordinary it shows how vulnerable they are and how um uh I don't it, like there's a couple examples is the the um Lenny he's he's the younger single guy his his mother who seems it's i i'm stumbling here but um his mother asks him if he would like to try online dating mm-hmm. and he gets very kind of defensive and he 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 says like he has this very strange view of of women that he wants to date and and it kind of goes into some um background into some other people that he's dated and and been around and everything like that but um like there's one point where she asks him um uh, he's very careful about what he would put on there and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to, it basically exposes the vulnerability that he has about his, about his, uh, his, his condition, I guess, I guess you would, you would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like she asked if he would want to post like his comic con interests on the dating website and then he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And it's just, it's presented in just a really kind of heartbreaking way because he doesn't want to show his true self um there because he's very guarded and he has he has walls up to protect himself mm-hmm. um and then on the other side uh the girl that's in the couple um Lindsay, uh she talks about how uh she wears jewelry so that she feels less vulnerable and she she doesn't want to feel like ugly or or anything like that so she feels like if she has vo- jewelry on it's it's less she's less vulnerable and th- the way that they 
the way that the documentary introduces or, or showcases these aspects of these these people's personalities and their struggles, it made it made it so relatable and so just captivating and heartbreaking heartbreaking at points and just absolutely just glorious in other parts because there's the the documentary goes through highs and lows about its subjects and um and everything i mean there's i mean oh my god the the lenny guy he there's there's a there are a couple points where um like he he kind of goes into a rant talking about how um he makes the i won't go into exactly what he says because it's it's one of the most uh, powerful sequences of the entire documentary, but he starts it off by saying that he would rather be um, normal um, rather than be autistic with a million dollars. Wow. And it's just from there, it's like, it's a freaking descent into heartbreak. And it's just like, it shows like, this is where like his, his walls comes down, comes down and he shows his insecurities and everything. And it's, it's very powerful filmmaking and very wow. powerful, um, I don't want to say performance, but it's just powerful. It's a powerful capture of his, of his struggle and his his inner demons as he as he struggles to, to find find love, basically. Wow. Um, and then, oh man, it's so. Yeah, this was such a powerful documentary. And then, um, yeah, and and like I said, there's there are times where it's where it has ups and 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 it's a positive thing because, um, yeah, it's just it's I don't know I don't know I'm 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 just in in a uh, cycle here where I'm just I'm just lavishing praise on it but um throughout the four subjects of it um which I was very happy that the couple uh, Dave and Lindsay in it uh they weren't they weren't presented as like the couple cuz they they're both on the spectrum um it it was like they each dev- the devoted time the filmmakers devoted time to each one of them to show like their their own thought process and how they handle their relationship and everything separately and together. And I thought that that was a really nice touch. And that's something that they didn't necessarily have to do. Like they could have just grouped them together to fit one spot of their, um, the, the narrative that they were filming, but they, they took the time to really showcase each one individually. And I really appreciated that. Um, and then Steven, the kind of older, older guy, um, he i don't want to say what his story is but it's it's made clear kind of in the beginning um it's kind of presented as he's he's kind of still a little dependent on his on his parents to in order to you know take care of himself and all that Mm -hmm. that that was the that was the impression i got when they first introduced him but then they dive into more of his of his uh of his situation and everything and i mean I was kind of surprised to to learn one thing about him, about his life, basically his history with, with relationships. And I mean, this guy, like his story in this is like freaking heartbreaking and just really, really sad to, to say the least. And it just, it really just hit me like a, like a brick. I was uh, very, very taken with this guy's story. And it's not so much, it is his story and everything, but it's also his reaction to certain things. And it is just so, so, so sad, just so sad. Um, and it, the, the documentary kind of leaves off with, um, certain, um, individuals in the documentary don't necessarily get, I guess, closure in it, which I mean, that's more a personal preference for me that it, that I would use it to dock any points from it. Um, uh, but I kind of wish that they would have followed through with, with certain aspects of the story that they were telling. Um, but then on the other hand, it's more of like, a 
not slice of life kind of thing, but it's, it's just a very, the point of the documentary is to show them, show these people in their vulnerabilities and how they handle certain things. It's not, at times it it is a triumphant story of them finding love and everything. And at the other times it's, it's a story of them, you know, coping with, with their insecurities and things like that. And I think in that, in doing that and showcasing them in that manner, it made them and autism in general, an incredibly relatable and interesting um, view of it. And yeah, so I basically, what I'm trying to say is I freaking love this documentary and uh, Tiny, I messaged you um, like three minutes into it because I was very taken with how it was, how everything was presented in the first few minutes. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm like, this is the message I sent to Tiny. I said that I, I said, I'm scared to say this, but like four minutes into Autism and Love. And my first thought is, man, we should do another documentary episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll do that yeah, maybe. at some point. Um, that's great. I, yeah. I really wish I would have watched this before you talked about it. I meant to, but just didn't mm-hmm. get to it. Um, it's on Netflix and it's only an hour and 15 minutes long. Right. So yeah, I, I'll definitely watch it at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'm sure I will. Or Autism is, I just, I don't know. I just don't know enough about it. I, mm-hmm. sh- I should know more than I do. And it's, it's such a misunderstood thing. Absolutely. Um, you, you feel like you see the movie Rain Man and you understand autism, but right. you don't. All you know is, all you understand is raise autism mm-hmm. you know every it's just so it just means so many different things for the people who have it it's right it's it's so hard to so hard to pin down to one thing it's it's just, yeah it's it's tragically diverse i guess exactly yeah and it's like uh i mean pe- different people are on different parts of the spectrum basically and it's a wide right. range depicted in the in the documentary as well mm-hmm. um yeah so i was very taken with autism and love and uh the director is this guy, Matt Fuller, and I'm really curious to see what else he does or will do. Um, I'm kind of really taken with the style that he approached the documentary, and I hope that he does more things like that. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so that is our... Yeah, that's our main topic for the for the episode, guys. Yeah. Uh, good job, Tiny. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. Um, so before we get to potpourri, we've been doing this... Uh, off and on for the last for the last few episodes, but um, I want to formally introduce um, the segment with hopefully with uh, with um, an, a whole intro song and everything. But um, it's it's another call in review from Mike, our podcast co host, who's on sabbatical from the podcast. Um, he basically uh, calls in Thursday nights. Um, after he sees a movie for his weekly movie uh, outing with his friends in Evansville, um, basically, and he just has his like brief phone review of it. We call it Mike's Pine Tree Perfume. <laughs> um, so here is his take on The Huntsman Winter's War. Listen up, this will only take a second. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tiny. Uh, it's Mike. I'm super tired. I'm driving home, uh, and I just got out of the movie. Want a little hubby on the pine tree perfume there, kid? Sir, it's a taxi cab air freshener. Great, you've pinpointed it. Step two is washing it off. Hey, listeners. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tiny. Uh, Mike again, back with another uh, drive home potpourri pine tree air freshener session in my car. Or whatever. I don't know. We're working on the title. So I just left uh, the Huntsman Winter War or Winter's War. 
I, I don't know. The fact that I can't even tell exactly what the title is, I think, says a lot about it. Right now it's 12-12, um, and I, it probably doesn't help that I was super tired throughout the entire movie, but, geez, that got long. Really, really long. Um... Man, what what is there to even say? It is exactly what you might expect from a movie called The Huntsman that's about... That's a sequel to a fairy tale adaptation of a movie starring Kristen Stewart. But this one wasn't starring Kristen Stewart. This one actually uh, starred Chris Hemsworth, Jessica Chastain, Charlize Theron, and uh, Emily Blunt... All of which, um, I don't know. I don't want to say phoned it in. I definitely think Chris Hemsworth was uh, game throughout the entire movie. But um, really, really just uh, cast in roles that don't don't showcase uh, the best of anybody's acting ability. In particular, I'm thinking of Charlize Theron uh, and her line delivery. And again, it could be because I'm tired. Uh, that's kind of the point of these segments. But... Um, man, she just spoke so, like, painfully slowly uh, to every character throughout the entire movie. You know, I think she had, like, maybe ten lines throughout the whole movie, but just chewed, uh, you know, 15 minutes of screen time, um, just slowly, slowly delivering lines. There were little bits of comedy throughout, uh, particularly at the... um, um, the 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 results the offering I don't know what word I'm looking for, but uh, from two from two dwarves uh, I don't know the movie uh, my friend Jake remarked that the movie felt um, like it was trying to be like a Lord of the Rings movie and I couldn't have agreed more and um, as listeners to this podcast know. Um, I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan at all. At all. In fact, I, I quite dislike fantasy movies, um, sword fights and such. And this was another sword fight fantasy adventure movie that um, didn't do anything special, uh, really kind of betrayed some of the actors' abilities. Uh, and I would even go as far as saying, as far as special effects spectacle movies, I think this one left a lot uh, to be desired. I will probably never see this movie again. Uh, I regret seeing this movie, if only uh, because there were a couple of other movies I think I would have rather seen. Um, Overall, fairly disappointed, but to end on a high note, uh, Jake Arrieta of the Chicago Cubs pitched a no-hitter tonight, so I'm I'm still pretty pretty happy about that. So, uh, Go Cubs, and whoever directed The Huntsman Winter's War can go to hell. Thank you. See you guys later. All right. Well, thanks, Mike, for sending in that review of The Huntsman Winter's War. I have zero interest in this movie. Me too. Yeah. Did you see the first one? I did. I cannot tell you a thing about it. <laughs> so forgettable and awful. Yeah. Yeah. And the trailers just didn't do anything for me. It's just not really for me. Having said that, why don't we go ahead and do our potpourri se- section for this Let's episode? Let's do it. Nice. For first time listeners, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about anything we want as long as it smells good. Uh, basically what we've been watching, what we're looking forward to, you know, whatever is out there. Um, I have two things. Tiny, you have one? I have one. Okay, cool. So we'll just do the same as the Netflix picks. I'll uh, have you sandwiched between mine. Okay. 
Sounds weird. Um, <laughs> Sounds delightful. It does. <laughs> uh, so the first one, the first one I have is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season two. Nice. Uh, yes, I finished it uh, Sunday, so a couple days ago. And Tiny, have you seen season one? I have seen season one. Loved it. Okay, me too. I actually, yeah. I actually went through and I rewatched the first season um, like Friday, um, and I forgot how just freaking brilliant the sitcom is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hilarious and there like I was laughing hysterically at jokes that I had seen a year ago in season one. Um, so going on to season two, I <laughs> that might have been a little bit of a, of a mistake because I have such fond memories of season one. <laughs> um, so so season two kind of didn't really for me it didn't match the level of hilarity of season one, and it's it's kind of weird because and I don't mean to. Um, single out um, uh, Jane Jane Krakowski, mm-hmm. but in season one, in season one, she seemed to be playing the same type of character as her character in Thirty Rock. Yeah, which the shows have very similar styles; they're made by the same people, all that stuff. Um, but I, I still kind of felt like there needed to be a little bit more. And the season one ends on a note where she was kind of. I think I think it ended on a note where she was going to reconnect with her with her roots and everything, and I thought, okay, well maybe that'll progress it. She didn't really do much for me this season. Um, she was fine. Uh, There's some really good gags here and there um, throughout the season. There's one episode where she is forced to spend time with her son for the first time like ever, and uh, <laughs> she goes to the pediatrician and she asks him why uh, how to get him from how to get her son from being so hyper and, and and being disruptive and everything and then so he looks at her and says i think that he just needs some discipline and then she gasps and then he's like no 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 i'm not asking i'm not i'm not suggesting actual parenting uh it's discipline and it's a packet of pills <laughs> and then she gives him that's great it's it's freaking it's freaking brilliant and stuff like that's stuff like that's great um but her her arc throughout the season just didn't really land for me that much. Yeah. Um, but it it was still it was still fine. But it yeah. just didn't land for me. But um, Ellie Kemper though, my God, she is so delightful in this role. And uh, I just I just love like she has such um control of this character. Mm-hmm. And like there's some there's some growth this season where she she's kind of she's not playing the super naive. Um, you know, I've been trapped in a vault for, or in a, in a bunker for 15 years type of character so much. She's, she's a bit evolved. She's evolved the role a little bit. There's still a lot of, um, stuff in, the, in that she deals with and, um, uh, from, from her past and everything. But it, it, it feels like a natural growth for the character. She's not still the kind of somewhat dim-witted but lovable, um, uh, Kimmy Schmidt. She's, she's grown into her own. I like that aspect of the character. Um, and like I said, Ellie Kemper, her comedic timing is just freaking fantastic. Nice. And there's and the writing is just pitch perfect for her. I just I love her in this role, and I love the progression of the character throughout the two seasons. I also I'm not going to go through every single character or anything like that. But one of the uh, kind of complaints that I think the show got last season was that the character of Dong Wen uh, was kind of kind of super racist. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, and uh, rewatching it the first season, rewatching the first season. I mean, I still laughed at the jokes because I'm, you know, I I will laugh at jokes, um, even inappropriate jokes. Yeah. Um, but I found I found it kind of interesting because he's he's not really in the show that much. By the way, one of my favorite jokes from season one was when, 
uh, Dong like hit, accidentally hits Kimmy in the eye or something, and he's she says, "Dong, you wang!" Like I I love that line <laughs> so much. Um, it just sucks that it's it's kind of racist. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he. he, he I, I really liked how they handled his character this season. Um, he isn't in every episode or anything like that, but he is, he pops up throughout the season. And like from the beginning, you can kind of tell like they're kind of like trying to take away from, from his like, you know, more like super Asian caricature kind of, kind of things. Like, yeah. like his accent is a little, like they actually make reference to his accent being a little lighter and everything. <laughs> um, and there's, there's, but there's a really funny gag in the first episode where they, uh, he, she, uh, Kimmy says like, yeah, your accent's gotten better. Um, and he's like, yeah, I've been, <laughs> he's like, like, it's a condition. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's just funny. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually what she said, but it, yeah. Okay, okay, anyway, I got you. you just made me sound super racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, but no, no, uh, uh, she said that it, she noticed his accent had changed a little bit. And then he said, well, yeah, um, when you, when we stopped hanging out, uh, I just, I started watching and then he changes his voice to the kind of vocal fry voice that's very popular by this. But he says, uh, I started watching the Kardashians <laughs> and like he started, he starts talking like them and it's, it's freaking hilarious. That's great. Yeah. And I kind of wish that that would have been a runner throughout the whole season, but it, it was really only in that one episode. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, so overall, I enjoyed Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season two. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, I liked some of the choices of what, where they took some characters and everything here and there. But ultimately, it was, it was a little bit less for me than season one. Season one, I thought was freaking fantastic, especially rewatching it, um, a year later in preparation to watch season two. I just thought it, they just, they just struck gold with that season. Um, and it's not to say that season two is bad by any stretch. It's just, it didn't really connect with me as strongly as that. It's, it's still connected, but not as strongly. And then finally, there is a very weird running gag that I think that they overdid it almost immediately from the start. Um, I guess I'll spoil some aspects of it. It's not really that big of a spoiler, but there is a running gag throughout the whole season involving Robert Durst. Um, from the Jinx, nice in real life, which is in in concept, it's hilarious. Like the introduction of it, like there's one line where Carol Kane's character, who is fantastic, she's she's freaking amazing yeah. in this entire season. But she mentions something like, "Yeah, I I know what you're going through, Kimmy. I lost my first love too, uh, old Bobby Durst and in in Coney Island or something like that." <laughs> And so it's, it's funny cause like throughout the season, she makes little references to, to Bobby Durst and like the audience knows what he's, who he is and what he is and what he's done. Um, and that's fine and everything. But then it's a weird, this is where it's kind of spoilery. Um, Fred Armisen pops up as Robert Durst Ooh. in the first episode and it's so, it's so weird to me and it doesn't go anywhere. He pops up here and there throughout the season and it's just, it just doesn't fit with me and it feels like that they went a little too far with this topical gag and i think that they just wasted fred armison yeah <laughs> like he's very talented and he could have mm-hmm. been really good in another role or whatever but i just thought they mishandled that but overall i really liked kimmy schmidt season two um there are some some small issues here and there but overall i had a blast watching it so check it out I will. I'm I'm working nice. my way through uh, Jessica Jones right now. Nice. Once I finish that up, I plan on moving on to Kimmy Schmidt. Nice. So I know what you mean about Jane Krakowski. It seems like mm-hmm. her character on 
30 Rock and then mm. her new character and Kimmy Schmidt seem very uh just really like one dimensional. Yeah. Like you can only do a certain thing with them because that character is just so so in a box. Yeah, they and can, it's you just can't do that much with the character. Absolutely. And it's yeah. a shame because they're both kind of similar boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, one in one show she's a diva starlet rich person and the other one she's a socialite attention seeking rich person diva diva yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really it's really it's a shame yeah because she's very talented at that I just right yeah she is would love to see her uh, branch out me too me yeah too. well for my potpourri uh this time uh, i was gonna bring up the movie the big short nice. which i rented over the weekend um what'd you think of that uh i liked it i really liked it i thought it would be a little um funnier Oh Be, really? Being an Adam McKay movie, I mean, there's definitely some comedy in it. Mm. There's there's some really funny stuff. Um, the whole the whole cameo thing I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, maybe not as effective as they wanted it to be. Right. But but still kind of a funny idea. Mm. Um, didn't didn't pay off. I don't think uh, again as great as they wanted it to. Um, so there's definitely some comedy in it. Um, the breaking the fourth wall mm. was was uh, somewhat effective at times. Um, but I I think. I think Adam McKay wanted to be more serious with this because mm-hmm. he's he's since this has happened since the the financial collapse of 2008 he's been a very vocal person about how you know all these bankers need to be in jail it's, mm-hmm. it was it was blatant fraud uh, that they were doing and they were doing it to get rich and it worked um, and so he's been very vocal about it and so he he takes it seriously um, so I think he wanted he wanted the seriousness to outweigh the uh, the comedy in, in this movie. Um, and I can respect that choice. I, I, I yes. think, I think that's a good thing to do. Um, I just don't know if Adam McKay is really the guy to do it. Right. Um, I, I think this could have been, this could have been a phenomenal Coen Brothers movie. Oh, oh wow. My God, to see oh, the Coen wow. Brothers tackle this ridiculousness about these guys betting against, huh. betting against insurance, Paul, like that. Oh man, that would have been so wow. brilliant what they could have done with this topic. Um, I don't know if they want to, but, you know, there's right. just there, there's a handful of other filmmakers I would have rather seen tackle this subject matter, mm-hmm. uh, this this true story. Um, but I don't want to just crap all over Adam McKay because I think he did a pretty decent job with this. Mm-hmm. Um, the script and 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 uh, did he actually direct it as well? Uh, he did. He did. I couldn't remember if he directed it. Too. And he that was, was nominated for best director. He was. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Gosh. Um, and he won. The, he. They won for script. I they believe. won for script. Yeah. 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 Um, so. I have a couple questions about your experience watching it, but mm-hmm. did you have more to say? Um, just a little bit here and there. Um, I really, was it, was it Christian Bale who was nominated for yeah. an actor? I thought he did a great job. I, I mm-hmm. enjoyed, I enjoyed his performance, but I thought the standout for me was Steve Carell. Yeah. Maybe it was just his character was the most, uh, the most stuck out the most to me maybe mm-hmm. i don't know if it was just the character if it was his, or if it was that he did a great job with the performance i'm not sure which it is but steve carell was the standout for me yeah i think i think part of that is that they wrote for his character a lot more than the other ones it's true yeah because the other ones were kind of just like christian bale's whole thing was like okay he noticed it or whatever and like like uh, uh, the two young guys are like they notice it. Like everyone just kind of has their own like function within this entire story. Mm-hmm. And Steve Carell has this whole backstory with his brother and how there's an emotional connection yeah. to it. Right. Um, where no one else seemed to, they didn't really seem to write that type of story for other characters. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, and um, did you did you have any problem with the like the direction? Because 
or like the camera work in particular, because there were some scenes that were just not focused properly. Um, and it was, it was kind of weird. It was almost like they were going for a documentary style, but it just felt weird because everything else was a glossy, like big movie. Um, I don't know. I think that it had something to do with the way that they did the way that they worked the camera. I think Adam McKay wanted to get, I, th- I think that it was something like he wanted to get a certain amount of shots done. And the only way to do that without having to mess around the camera or, uh, or reposition the camera too much was that they just zoomed in and that made it a lower, um, a lower quality film and they couldn't really adjust it in editing or something like that. Um, interesting. I, yeah. Did you catch that at all? You know, it did have this odd feel to it, mm-hmm. um, or the look to it was just a little. I think I know what you mean. Uh, it didn't bother me. It didn't take mm-hmm. me out of it. Um, it didn't really me either that much. I just kind of noticed it. Yeah, I guess I noticed it too. Um, I I can't I can't describe it really. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of indescribable what it was. But I think it is. It, it it's almost like they needed they needed five cameras to film a certain scene, but they only used three. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like that. I, and I don't know how to, if there's a term for that or right. whatever. Um, but I think I know what you mean. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess I did notice that a little bit. Okay. Um, did you think Christian Bale should have been nominated? No. I, I, I didn't think so either. Yeah, I wouldn't have nominated him. But I, I did appreciate his, mm. you know, he's a very, he has a ton of range. He yeah. can just do so much, you know, evidence any movie he's been in practically um and so i I wasn't surprised at all that he was just this character is completely different from every other character he's ever played right um and it's and he he pulled it off well you know Mm -hmm. it just wasn't wasn't oscar nomination right worthy i don't think um but i mean you know and i think they're dealing with a subject matter here that's it's very complex Mm -hmm. and it's 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 you're tackling something that's like a status quo and you want to point out how it's really screwed up right and that's that's just a it's just such a hard task to quantify everything and simplify everything into layman's terms uh layman brothers terms uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just really <laughs> it's just it's such a difficult thing to do and there aren't there aren't a lot of filmmakers who can do it right um and I, they they tried really hard with this <laughs> and and in some spots i was like okay i think i kind of get this but then in other spots i was like i'm still not exactly sure what's mm-hmm. going on here um and you know what i think i think the people who in real life actually did this stuff i don't think they get it either right i don't think anybody does that's part of it is that it's just it's just pages and pages of technical speak and no one mm-hmm. can understand all of it and it's just a it's a cluster that's all it right. is and 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 trying to trying to make that into a movie mm-hmm. is really hard to do yeah um and they did it they did a very uh admirable job of, yes of it. admirable job yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I did like it i i really um i, th- I think one of the reasons i in addition to what you said about Steve Carell's character is that he was kind of the moral, the, the moral yeah. character, if you will. Um, I think he, he was doing it out of like a fiduciary responsibility kind of thing. And right. he, was, he was doing it because, you know, it was just so fascinating to get into it. But most of the other characters are kind of just make, trying to make a bunch of money. Right. Um, and you know, uh, Ryan Gosling's character just blatantly says that mm-hmm. at the end. Um, um and the younger guys they really just wanted to make a bunch of money they there were a couple times where they kind of realized what was happening and and there's a very poignant scene in a 
casino with Brad Pitt's character. Yeah, I really liked that scene. That was good. Yeah. Um. So, but but it felt like the moral center of the movie was Steve Carell's character, and he never he never deviated that right deviated from that that character arc and. I think that's why people liked him the most, and okay. I'm glad they had that character in the movie because mm-hmm. it it really anchored everything. Because um, we should all be really pissed off about this. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, guys like you and I, we didn't we didn't feel the effect like this as much. Right. But like my parents, they you know they both had 401ks when oh, all this God. happened, and they got a bunch of it cut out. Jeez. You know, and that happened to just tens of millions of people right across the country. So. Ugh. It's yeah, it's you know, it's one of those stories that it's it's so hard to tell, but someone needs to try to tell it. Right. We we just it's it's a really awful thing. Yeah. But I like the movie. Nice. Yeah. And that's the important thing. That's the important thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that someone made a good movie. Right. Um Ho- Hollywood knows about it. That's <laughs> right. what matters. <laughs> <laughs> um uh final question for this about about this and I'll do my last puppery. Um You see what it was is that they, they bet <laughs> That everyone's mortgages were going to fail. Okay. That's what it is. Okay, yeah. Okay. So there's your question. <laughs> <Jesus. and answer. laughs> no. Um, uh, Steve Carell um, in The Big Short versus Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Which performance do you like more? Ooh, that's a tough call. Uh, I, I got to go with Foxcatcher because nice. there was more involved with that. Okay. And it was uh, it was a physical performance as well as a, mm. as a uh, whatever. Right. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Yep. It was, it was cool. I liked it. Nice. Well, that's good to hear. Yep. Um, Making dreams come true. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> um, okay. So to round out potpourri, um, yesterday, Tiny, I went and saw uh, The Jungle Book, the latest uh, interpretation of the book and in the, um, I think it was the 1960s 60s. Disney yeah. movie, yeah. Yeah, which I I I know that I've seen it before. I I know that I have, but it wasn't like a fixture of my childhood or anything. So mm-hmm. I've seen it, but I, I I haven't I have basically no memory of it. Um and John Favreau's movie is basically a live action CGI kind of thing where it's it's photorealistic uh animals with with celebrity voices and uh, mostly I believe all computer generated jungle mm-hmm. um and with the with with a a young child actor as Mowgli and it's it's the story the story is is I can't speak to its um whether or not it's it's true faithful to the book or or the movie or anything but it's basically the story of uh Mowgli is a a, a child who is being raised by wolves um in the jungle and um uh, circumstances lead him to be taken cast out in in uh, escorted to the human village because uh, a tiger uh, named Shaka Khan, voiced by Idris Elba, uh, mm. threatens threatens him and wants him dead. Um, so it's about his journey and his his relationship with uh, 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 wow the bear Baloo Baloo, um, voiced by Bill Murray, and it's <sighs> I'm kind of struggling with this movie a little bit with my my feelings toward the movie. Um, on one hand, visually, it's pretty astounding. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's the, the set pieces are really, uh, heart, heart pounding. Um, there's some really cool sequences where Mowgli is running through, um, running through the jungle 
and it's very quick. Like the kid does a really good physical performance in it. Um, and everything. And, uh, and, but for the most part, kind of, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so the story, the story was fine. The story worked out well. Um, the CGI was, was very strong. I had a little bit of trouble with wool, with the wolves. Um, I don't know if it was just me, but they, they just, every other animal seemed like perfect, like very perfectly rendered and, and, uh, displayed, but the wolves seemed just a little bit, not quite like, hmm. I don't, I don't know what, the, what it was about it, but like, there's a scene where it's raining and everything and it, and, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if maybe I was looking too closely at it or not, but <laughs> it just seemed like the rain was like not even hitting the fur. And I mean, it's a small, it's a small nitpick and it's one scene, but it's also like something about it just didn't feel right to me. Uh, the way that the wolves were, were displayed. Um, so John Favreau is definitely team Edward. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank you. Um, but no, uh, but I will say that I, I was on board with the movie for the most part. Um, and, and I thought that it was, it was perfectly fine. It was, it was fun, um, adventurous and everything. But my God, that kid actor sucked. Oh, really? He was so bad. That's a bummer. It's, I mean, it was, and I mean, okay, yeah, you can make, you can make, um, the argument, well, like, okay, well, he's a kid actor. He's not, he's not acting. He's not reacting to really anything because it's all computer generated and everything. Yeah. And that's fine. Yes, I understand that. But my God, every single time he spoke was just, it just fell completely flat. That's a shame. Yeah. Like there's a scene where he is, um, uh, the panther that's kind of his guide. Um, um, I'm butchering this, but, uh, I think it's Ben Kingsley voices him. Um, he, he's talking to him and he's like, it's so awkward because he's like, he's got this kind of attitude where it's like, um, I don't know what, like, it's kind of a bratty, like, defiance, like, I don't understand why you're doing this or whatever kind of thing. Um, and the whole movie kind of feels like, it kind of feels like they shot that scene first and John Favreau was like, oh, good job, kid. You did a good job. So the <laughs> kid just thought like, okay, well, I'll do that for every scene oh, man. and I'll be a petulant little brat throughout the entire movie and uh, it's just it just did not work for me he was he was really annoying and every time he every time he was interacting with an animal or, or anytime he was speaking basically all the lines were just were just like he was just talking to a wall and it just it just yeah. took me out of the movie throughout it and it just bothered me so much and yeah it's it's it was it was a bummer it, it made me it made me check my watch a few times Ooh. um yeah and i mean that's a little severe but you know um also there was there was some issues i had with kind of the the story i don't know if it was mainly because of the child actor but um like there there are some like pit stops that the that the story takes like there's there's a whole extended sequence with christopher walken as a as a giant ape who's like the king louis in the in the movie mm-hmm. um and it, it's it's really entertaining um but I don't, I didn't really feel like it fit that well. Like there, there's a whole thing where at the end of that interlude, which there's, there's a musical interlude there, which I understand that the cartoon was a, uh, uh the animated movie in the sixties was, was pretty musically influenced. Right? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. He just wants to be human too. <laughs> well, this was the thing with King Louie was like the only the only like big musical number in the movie. Okay. And as a result of that, like there are two there are two points in the movie where there's music involved and uh it's that and then there's a scene where uh where Mowgli and Baloo are kind of floating down the river and they're singing a song to each other and it's like it's just it's just weird for them to go into song um for that one sequence really. That's strange. Um yeah, yeah and uh and then at the end of it, there's there's a point where Baloo is uh, says to says to the panther, um, he says, if anything if anything happens to the kid, I'm never gonna forgive myself. And like that's the only part of the movie where I'm like, oh, there's they have a bond in the movie. <laughs> like okay, it's it it just didn't everything leading up to that didn't really work for me in in their relationship um, mm. throughout it. And also, I mean. Not only, and I'm going back to the kid's performance, but not only did everything he said fall flat for me, it was like, I never believed for a second that he was actually a kid who was being raised by wolves in the jungle. Like, I thought like, oh, it's just this kid, this kid that is just not, is just saying all these words. Um, I never thought that he had spent a lot of time with wolves or anything like that. I, I didn't get like, he has a good physical performance in terms of him being able to do achieve a lot of stuff, um, physically like running through and jumping through and doing, doing all of these acrobatic kind of things, mm-hmm. but there's nothing in his physical performance to say like, Oh, he, he, he's basically been living with wolves. It's like, no, his, his, his mom dropped him off on set. <laughs> it just, it just was a bummer. It took me out for me. It took me out of the movie there, but, um, that sucks. Yeah. But I will say visually, it's, it's astounding. Uh, very well done visual, visual, uh, styles and everything. Um, except for the wolves, they didn't, it, and the wolves, it's not like they were bad or noticeably poorly rendered. It was just, it, it didn't have the same, the same, like realistic feel to me as the other animals did. Well, the, the uh, Cullens are just naturally better looking. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, sorry, I couldn't help. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a bummer, though. It's because it sounds like one of those movies that's just all spectacle. It is. Well, everyone's everyone loves it. Every, and that's what it's like, supposed to be. Yeah the the yeah. critics are the critics are raving for it. People people love the movie, so maybe I'm an outlier there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I just couldn't connect with it the way gotcha. that a lot of other people did. I'm not enthusiastic about it, really. Yeah. So I will say that the, the, with the visual styles, I saw it in 2D, but um, I think that it could it, it could actually be worth seeing in 3D because okay. just visually, it's it's really impressive. Cool. Yeah. Um. And then finally, <laughs> uh, I want to just before we end the episode, I want to bring up that the theater experience for this movie was God. Yeah. Uh. Like. Okay. So. Okay. It's I'm gonna risky, go on a rant. That's the risky run with kids' movies. I, and that's the thing. That's okay. So. So I. I'm in the theater. It's like me. It's like a group of like a few groups of like uh uh families basically. Like there's one there's one family with like a baby and like a two year old and I later found out like a couple other like like small children. Um and then there was like a, a a father and son, a mother and daughter kind of spread out throughout. I'm there by myself because I'm freaking creep. Um <laughs> And, uh, so I'm sitting there and then like, I kind of see in my peripheral vision, like, okay, a figure has sat down in my, in my aisle, which, you know, you're allowed to do that. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, no, um, <laughs> this is about 15 minutes into the movie. It's, it's a kid that's sitting not next to me, but like a few seats down. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. Um, and then the, the father like rushes down and sits next to him and everything. 
And then, and then the kid starts roaming around and like running around like back and forth, like in front of my row, uh. like, cause I was, I was in the row where there's a, there's a railing and everything in the, in mm-hmm. the front cause I like to stretch out my legs. Um, and like the kid's running around, the dad's running around grabbing him. Eventually the dad is just like, you know, screw it. Let's just, he'll just run around. Wow. And I'm like, and at one point the, the, the dad took out his phone and like he was looking for something. I'm like, what, what the? man really <laughs> and then eventually like this only lasted for like 20 minutes and and then they eventually sat down like the whole family got together and sat down um kind of toward the front where they had their stroller because i think the baby might have pooped or something i don't know <laughs> who knows um so my whole thing was i i uh in my in a group chat with with a couple of friends i i mentioned it and then uh one of the responses was well well you were kind of asking for it cuz you went to a movie you went to a kids movie the day after the weekend it came out <laughs> and i'm like okay yeah and i don't i don't know if this is going to get like any kind of reaction or anything but i honestly don't think i should have to tailor my movie going experience to accommodate shitty parents yeah. who can't control their kids like i really don't i agree with that like that's and i mean uh, oh like I, I, it just bothered me. It kind of bothered me that that's kind of like where where we are as as moviegoers. It's like okay, yeah. well, you know, wait until the mo- wait until the kids' movie comes out, and then wait until you know the 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 kids have all seen it, and then go see it. It's like I don't I don't like that. I just yeah. don't like it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So I'm currently writing letters to my congressman. I'm trying to get legislation <laughs> passed. Um, we'll we'll work on this. Gotcha. But yeah, but otherwise, you know, check out the Jungle Book. Let me know what you think. All that stuff. Cool. <sighs> so that does it for this week's episode, Tiny. Yes, it does. Um, what are we doing next week? Do you want me to say or do you want to say? You go ahead. Okay. Um, I forgot what. I'm I not named sure it. what what title we're going I, with. I really don't know either. So basically, every summer movie season, every basically every movie podcast does a summer movie kind of thing. Um, I'm blatantly ripping this off of the slash filmcast um a much bigger and better podcast than ours um i might cut that out (laughs) they they do this on a yearly thing where they basically do a summer box office wager or summer summer movie wager is what they call it and uh we're gonna do this basically the same thing um we're calling it our summer box office challenge right now i don't know if there's anything (laughs) and there are going to be some tweaks to it that will be kind of unique for us um i hope at least Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so so we'll it'll be a lot of fun and uh i believe that we're gonna have a special guest for it tiny oh yeah yeah it's he's gonna be uh you know if if uh it's Mike. It's, it's Mike's it coming Mike. back. I got I got nothing. Mike White. Mike White. Uh yes. At I am Mike White on the Twitters. Anyway, he's gonna be back for it. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And uh we hope you listen to it next week. And thank yep. you for listening to this week's episode. Yep. Thank yeah. you. Alright. Uh see you guys soon. See ya. Um yesterday. Tiny, I went and saw uh, the Jungle Book. Did you? Yeah, John Favreau's um, remake of of or, or his interpretation of is it Rudyard? Cl- wow, Rudyard. Cl- Hang on, Rudyard Kipling's. Rudyard Kipling. It took yeah. me a second. That's yeah. a, that's a weird name. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, John Favreau's interpretation of Rudyard Cl- Rudyard Clip. Oh my god! <laughs> There's too many consonants. Shit. That name. 
John Favreau's interpretation of the Jungle Book. <laughs> of Ryan Kinling's. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Richard Kelbling. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, I saw... I went to the movies yesterday and saw The Jungle Book, the latest uh, interpretation of the book. And, and the. Um... Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer at obsessive tiny and at I am Mike white. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.